Today on Power Tips Unscripted, we talk to Ari Weinzweig, the co-owner and founding partner of Zingerman's Community of Businesses in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Ari is going to share how powerful beliefs can transform your business. T minus Hall last day challenge. We are going Hi, I'm Victoria Downing, and welcome to Power Tips Unscripted, where we talk about tips, tactics, and techniques to help you build a strong, profitable remodeling company. I am so pumped about today's guest. Oh, I'm here with my co-host, Mark Harari, as a matter of fact. Yes, you are. I'm sitting here looking at him. I'm excited about our guest today because he brings a very unique entrepreneurial spirit to the podcast. It's a company that... I have known for many, many years, and actually we took a whole group of our roundtable members to visit this company and learn more about them uh, several years back. So Ari Weinswag is the founder and co-owner of Zingerman's in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Now this amazing company started as a single location deli, but what a deli it was. It's a destination that's so much more than a deli. Every time I go home, being a fellow Michigander, I make it a point to stop at Zingerman's on the way. Rather than growing their business by replicating this deli in a franchise or something like that, Ari and his partner chose to develop new independent businesses all rooted in the community and known now as the Zingerman's Community of Businesses. This company is known for its unique culture, for company growth, and for their ability to bring out the entrepreneur in every employee. Ari's a speaker, an entrepreneur, an author, and a visionary. Welcome, Ari. Thanks for having me on. It's good to be here. Yeah, we're really excited. We're taking some more roundtable members to visit you in just about a week or two. I know. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, it'll be as sunny out as it is today. Oh, I hope so. A little warmer than it is here. So, (laughs) Ari, tell us a little bit about about the the growth of Zingerman's. I mean, you, you started out as that one company. Last I knew, yeah. you were doing in the neighborhood of forty million. I don't know where you are yeah. at this point. But tell us a little bit about uh, that. We're we're a little over sixty million now. Wow. Um, so yeah, Paul and I started the deli in nineteen eighty two, uh, March fifteenth actually. So we're about a month out from our having had our thirty sixth anniversary. Wow. And uh, the original space uh, was just thirteen hundred square feet. Me and Paul, two employees, we had, I think, 25 sandwiches on the menu, about 29 seats, a little bit of, you know, bread from other bakeries because we didn't have our own, some smoked fish, some salami, a little bit of olive oil, honey, mustard, that sort of stuff. And uh, that's how we got going. And then, you know, fast forwarding, you described a little bit of what we do, but uh, our community of businesses, again, as you said, is all located here in the Ann Arbor area. we operate as one organization uh, with these semi-autonomous businesses within it. And then each business has managing partner partners in it that own part of that business and have a passion for what it does. And uh, we work collaboratively, you know, across the business lines as well. But uh, today we have the deli is still the, the biggest single thing, but we have uh, Zingerman's mail order. We ship food all over mm-hmm. the country to people. Uh, we have our bakehouse, which just had its 25th anniversary last year. Uh, doing bread and pastries. We have Zingerman's Creamery, which makes traditional uh, cream cheese, fresh goat cheese, Mm -hmm. uh, gelato. Uh, Our coffee roasting business, excuse me, we have a little candy making business where we make handmade candy bars. Uh, Zingerman's Cornman Farms is an event space that we renovated at Mm -hmm. 1830s Barn and Farmhouse, and we do weddings and 
corporate uh, events. And then we have uh, Zingerman's Roadhouse is a sit-down restaurant that does all regional American food. Miss Kim is a Korean restaurant that opened last year. And then Zing Train, where I'm actually sitting right now, is our training business. It, that's It's just an amazing concept. You know, you, when you got into this business, you were not trained to be a leader of a big company like this, were you? I wasn't trained to really do much of anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, so how did you, how did you how do it? Books. I was good at reading books. Okay. Uh, how did I get to this? Um, well, I, I guess, you know, we're going to talk about beliefs. I mean, one of my beliefs is that most anybody can learn almost anything uh, if they work at it. And, uh, you know, there's some things that require physical acumen, so... You know, although when I was young, I would have loved to be an NBA player. I don't have the physical <laughs> skill to do that. But, you know, beyond those sorts of things, which are actually exceptions, not the rule. You know, I think anybody can can learn almost anything. It's just a lot of work. But, uh, you know, I just like Paul, we in our own ways, we just both started studying and working and learning from mistakes and getting around good people. And there were no podcasts back then, but <laughs> doing right. the, the uh, intellectual equivalent of that sort of work. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just keep working at it over, you know, 36, 40 years, you're at least pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you, had you taken any missteps as you were growing your company all the, oh, you know, through these years? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's, that's, you know, we're all taking missteps every day. I mean, I've probably had 10 this morning already. <laughs> Well, I, I think this is, you know, a lot of my, I mean, you already know, but a lot of my study has been sort of secondarily, but then integrated into the work stuff is around studying anarchism, you know, which is what I studied in school and mm-hmm. putting into work in the modern workplace. It's quite interesting and uh, getting out of the hierarchical thinking, which most of the world is doing, but doesn't even know it's doing because right. everybody around them is doing it. But the hierarchical thinking, you know, which leads us to rank everything, leads us to sort of have this belief there's these critical big moments and all that, you know, which maybe there is. But I I really think what's more important are the tiny little things and that we're all, you know, any organization, any human being really is is simultaneously making mistakes and succeeding at the Mm -hmm. same time. It's Mm -hmm. it's just that, you know, after X number of months or years or whatever, did you have more successes yeah. <laughs> and did they outweigh the mistakes? And, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way that whatever a basketball team, you know, c- can, can win a game, but I mean, there's tons of missed shots, missed plays, mm-hmm. missed passes, you know, missteps, traveling calls, whatever it may be. And it's, it's not that those never happen. It's just that they recover well from them and that they, the successes override the failure. When we brought our group to visit you several years ago, it was such an eye-opening experience, especially when we were talking to your employees and they were sh- sharing with us, you know, the passport onboarding process and the the, da- the scorecards down that you had downstairs. And it was just a very unique culture where the employees were the ones that gave us most of the tour. And they shared what they were doing. We're so proud of it. So how did, what are some of the philosophies that have helped you build that culture and, and, and that underlie what you do? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of them, um, you know, it, not in any particular order, but uh, one is the visioning work that we do. This is something we're going to be talking to your group about when they're here. Mm-hmm. It's a process of getting clear about the future that you want to create and not just in a one line, 
sentence or, you know, six bullet points, but really a rich, I mean, richly engaging description, you know, that's emotionally meaningful, inspirational, et cetera, of, of the future of the organization that you're going to uh, create. So I think when people can see the big picture and it's very clear to them and they see how they can fit in and how it's going to make their life better and the community better. Uh, they tend to want to do more uh, and do better. Uh, another big piece of our philosophy is servant leadership, which came from Robert Greenleaf's work in the late 70s, uh, which is the idea that the leader's job is to serve the organization, not the other way around. You know, so it means really literally when I come to work every day, I, I try to think of this or I do think of the staff as my customers and I try to treat them accordingly. Uh, never perfectly, but that's really <laughs> our approach. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a really big thing is that we basically are, are teaching everybody how to think like a leader and, and, and engaging them in, in running the organization from the minute they get here. And, you know, clearly not everybody takes advantage of that and not everybody takes to it as quickly as others. But I think most places, I would say, teach people how to do their job, but they don't really teach them how business works. And right. as a result, the decisions that people make are really generally not frequently not that good uh, because they don't understand the game that you know that they're part of so all, right. all, all of those and more yeah all right the so the culture that you've you've built and and the entire philosophy around it is that something that was done from the start uh deliberately and intentionally or did you kind of back into it how did how did that go yes <laughs> yeah, yes, it was. It was always. It was like we're, you mapped it out that way. Well, no, I mean, I, I, you know, you start with two employees. I mean, you're not like writing long right. cultures. You're Wait, you didn't have 500 get employees. Get the, get, the, get the sandwich line set up before you open. You know, <laughs> but I, but I mean that said, I, I think that a lot of it from the beginning was, you know, it was in our heads. But it was, you know, we always wanted to make a really good place for people to work. We always wanted to have great service and great food and you know, do it in a really down to earth way. And sure, you know, so, so, you know, when you're a small business and you're the owner or owners in this case, you know, your personalities and your values, if you live them, uh, you know, be, and even if you don't become, uh, they become the culture, you know, and then over time as, as, as you grow, then it becomes more and more important and imperative even to actually start to get clearer in a philosophically grounded and, and often generally documented way of what, you know, what those values and beliefs are, because the odds of people just picking it up and passing are pretty low. So, you know, yeah, we kind of knew when we started, but I mean, when you have 700 people working here, like we do now, you know, it becomes more and more important to be able to actively engage with them in a way that teaches them what we're trying to create so they can go out and do it. So when do you when do you think was that kind of that tipping point when you kind of it became formally something for you like you know because a lot it was, of uh, I think it was November twelfth nineteen eighty no I don't know <laughs> <laughs> no as far as comp I mean as far as company the, think your there size really is a tipping point I think it's again the tipping point you know I'm a history major so the tipping point <laughs> looks really clear from thirty years down the road or a hundred years down yeah. the road but I think in the moment. You know, like when you watch ESPN, they'll show you when when the when the momentum shifted. But it's like I don't think everybody on the field knows that's when the momentum shifted. It only looks good later when they show you the replay. So I, I mean, I think it's a gradual process, and you know, it came a lot out of you know being frustrated and failing. 
you know, in small things. I mean, when things aren't working, then uh, like Rosa Beth Moss Cantor, who wrote uh, a number of good books, one of them is uh, called Confidence. And, you know, she says failure is not a loss. A loss is not the same as failure. You know, failure is a trajectory. It's it's not a one time event. Mm-hmm. And, uh, hmm. you know, so if you if you get frustrated, which we all do, you can choose to, you know, get more frustrated and get mad at people, which is understandable, but not very effective. Or alternatively, you can take a deep breath and try to figure out what you need to do better in order to not get that same problem to happen again. And so, you know, as as one grows, uh, that's what happens. There's an essay in part one of the business book series that I've done uh, called 12 Natural Laws of Business. And it's my belief that all successful organizations and really all successful people are living in harmony with those natural laws. And the ninth one on the list is that success means you get better problems. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, most, mm-hmm. most startups go out of business and they never get to the problem of having to clarify their culture. Sure. Uh, you know, it's a good problem that you grow and you realize that, you know, what was happening just because people were standing next to you doesn't happen so well when they're not standing next to you. Mm-hmm. And then we needed to learn more about training and teaching and, and be able to clarify what was in our head. Ari, go back for just a minute to the whole idea of visioning. You know, the people who are listening to this podcast are they're doers, they're working, they're running these small businesses. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of them, I don't know uh, if they totally understand or buy into the importance of visioning for your business. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, I certainly didn't buy into it either. I mean, I, <laughs> it's not how I grew up. Uh <laughs> You know, I think that's, it's true. I mean, it's, it's just, but I could tell you flat out, I mean, the visioning process, you know, radically changed my life. Uh, it's not how I was raised, but, you know, in hindsight, it's just sort of obvious. Like if you don't know where you're going, the odds of getting where you want to go are very, very low. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, I, I always have this, you know, image in my head of, uh, you know, it's sort of less relevant now with cell phones, but that you're in the car, you know, and you're in the passenger seat and your friend or your significant other or whatever is driving. And you're like, you know, dude, we better pull over. I think we're lost. And then your friend says, we don't have time. We'll be late. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you so, know, and it's, I, I think that's what happens to, you know, most of us. I mean, we're so busy running around that, you know, we don't think there's time to sit down and figure out where we're going, but I mean, like, seriously, (laughs) it just doesn't make any sense Mm -hmm. once you stop to think about it. The difference is that the visioning process that we use is it's very much an inside out process. So it's not about figuring out the marketplace. It's not about what you should do. It's not about what your business school professor or your mother or your whatever want you to do. It's the future you want to create. It's how you want to feel when you go to work. It's how big you want your business to be because it could be small or large. It's your decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's where you want it to be. So we've chosen to stay here in Ann Arbor area, but it doesn't mean people shouldn't go national. It's just not how I want to work. Um, You know, we've chosen to be very inclusive, but some other people might want a really autocratic organization. I mean, it's really there. It's up to them to determine it. But the problem is if you're hiring people and putting them to work and they don't know where you're going, it's kind of, they're going to make up their own version and then they're going to be going after stuff. That's not what you want. And that's going to clearly, you know, create a lot of tension. So if you're thinking about the vision that you created for Zingerman's and all of the various businesses, 
Are you looking mm-hmm. at a particular time frame? Are you looking, do you redo it on a regular basis? Yeah. T- yeah. So we, we, the way this visioning process works is yes, it's set in a particular point in time. Uh, it's not the business school version with the three lines, you know, or whatever. Uh, it's much longer when we, in two, 1994, so we opened 82, 1993, 94 is the first time we actually wrote a vision uh, in the, uh, in the form uh, that we use now. And it was, you know, rudimentary in the current day's context, but it, it was a good start. So that was about six pages long. And the idea is that it's describing the future of your dreams, right? How people feel that work there, how the community views you, how you feel, you know, roughly what scale or size or, you know, whatever it is that's meaningful to you. So we do set it. That one was set for 2009. Uh, so 15 years out. Um, and yeah, when you get close to the vision's completion, then you write the next one, which we're now engaged in because in 07, we wrote one for 2020 and that's almost here. Oh, that's very interesting. Okay. So we're getting a feel for that. Now let's jump over for a moment to getting your employees to think like leaders. Mm-hmm. What are some of the, the practices you put into place that helped you do that? Well, I think, A, it's just, a, I mean, it is the, the most recent book I did is, uh, is on beliefs in business, and there's some beliefs that underlie that, right? So I would say the standard business belief is that frontline people's job is to do the frontline work, and our job as leaders, in quotes, is to lead. But the problem is that people are making decisions all day long, whether, you know, people in ownership or leadership roles want to admit it everybody's making thousands of decisions in a, in a day, right? How fast should I move? How slow should I move? Should I go back and deal with that client more effectively? Should we double check that the nails were sunk properly? You know, whatever it might right. be in, in anybody's work. And, you know, when people think like hourly employees, then, you know, they're going to, you know, their job is to do at best a good job. But what I really want to do is have them going for organizational greatness because, you know, just, you know, pick your metaphor, but I mean, in an orchestra, if, if the violin is off and everybody else is on, it's going to sound terrible. If you're, you know, if the quarterback's great, but the wide receiver can't catch the ball, the team's not going to do well. So we really need everybody to be going for greatness. And so the belief piece is a, uh, you know, we just believe everybody's capable of doing great work and our job is to help them get there. Uh, you know, uh, one of the more interesting anarchists that I, got a lot of insight from was a guy named Murray Bootson, who's, who's, you know, I don't know, 20 years ago, he said, every normal human being is essentially capable of running any organization of which they're a part. Hmm. So I think that's true. You know, how do we put that in practice? Uh, we're open book management. So we involve people in the numbers. Uh, so they know what the sales are, they know what the profit is, et cetera. And they're part of helping fix it when it's not good, which you right. know, happens to all of us. Another one is that we generally all our meetings are open. So anybody who wants to come can come uh, because we have the belief that everybody's got some interesting insight to offer and, you know, uh, those kinds of things. And then just day to day, I mean, it's just treating people like intelligent people and asking mm-hmm. for their opinion. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, there's more to it than that. Another one would be our bottom line change process, which is another thing I'm going to teach when the group is here yes. uh, in a couple of weeks, because it's a change process that we teach to everybody, which makes it possible for anybody from your newest employee to your most senior staff member to be able to initiate a change rather than just suggesting it to you. So when you say you teach it to everyone, you teach it to everyone? 
Well, I mean, everyone doesn't, I don't mean like, I'd be glad to teach it to everyone. <laughs> Not everybody goes to the class, but you know, they all learn it in practice because it's in the culture, right? So uh-huh. mm. uh, I don't know, last night I was look, you know, on email doing my email and there's a, we call them DLCs as the acronym for bottom line change. There's a BLC from the roadhouse. Uh, they're changing the glass that the mimosa is served in uh, from a flute, you know, which is the tall champagne glass to a, a cordial, which is the more open, uh, wider glass. And it's, you know, it's it's got the compelling reasons for the change and the vision of what the change is going to look like. And uh, Elsha Chapman, who's a great manager there, who's leading that project, it's seemingly a small minor thing, but you know, I actually wrote her to compliment her because those little changes effectively implemented build positive energy, resilience, and effective leadership within the organizations, right? So she's sending this out to everybody at the roadhouse, look, you know, open to input before the implementation happens so that A, you get a better project and B, when it actually happens, you know, 80, 90% of the people at least will actually know that it's going to happen. They're not caught off guard. So when you're looking for someone, maybe not quite as much now, but especially when you're in your growth mode, when you're looking Mm -hmm. for people or thinking about a person to join the Zingerman's family, what are some Mm -hmm. of the attributes, the characteristics that you look for in a person that would fit in your culture? Well, I think ultimately, you know, one wants values alignment. and, Mm -hmm. And in the context of the new book, I would say mostly we want beliefs alignment. You know, so in the context of what I just shared about everybody being capable of leading, I, I don't know that that's not really an ethical issue, but if you come to work here as a manager, but you don't believe that you're going to be, your beliefs are in conflict with our organizational beliefs and it's going to be really painful, right? So, you know, it's, it's, it's not good or bad. It's just that they don't fit together, you know? So if, if you grow up in a very, if you're trying to, you know, have your family be very religiously observant, that's great. But if you're married to somebody who doesn't want to go right. <laughs> participate, it doesn't mean to me that one is right and one is wrong. It's just, it's going to be a very stressful, rela- you know, you can work it out, but it's going to be stressful because you have really opposing beliefs. And I think, you know, I, you can respect other people's beliefs, but when they're inside your own organization, basically they're doing work that's at odds with, right. with what you're doing. It's going to be stressful. Now, you've been in doing this for a while. When was it that Alzheimer's was founded? It was in the late 17th century. No, it was 19, <laughs> 1982. So what are you, Ari, doing to prepare Zingerman's for your succession? I mean, what are you doing to get yeah, that ready? Well, we're doing a lot, actually. Uh, we still have more to figure out, but it's, you know, it's not that easy. Uh, you know, the typical routes are you give it to your kids. We're not doing that. Uh, another typical route is you sell it. We don't want to do that. Uh, so those are probably the two most common. Uh, a third route is you can make it an ESOP, but that doesn't really work well for us because we actually have whatever, 15 different legal entities right. operating as one organization that actually legally doesn't even exist. So ESOP could work within a business, one of our businesses, but it won't work overall. So uh, and then because we use, you know, our, our models are so unique. So we run the organization by consensus of the managing partners. So mm-hmm. there's like 22 people sitting in the room, you know, trying right. to not for the price of a sandwich at the deli, but for organization wide <laughs> issues, uh, we're involving all these people. So we're, we're working on it. I mean, we've got a lot of governance that's been in place for a long time. So 
I, I really believe if Paul and I dropped tomorrow that the governance would proceed apace in the same way that, you know, in a healthy society or a healthy uh, country that, you know, the governance is not dependent on the presence of the leader. I mean, mm -hmm. President Kennedy, you know, in the horror of him getting assassinated, but the country's operations basically worked. I mean, it's not what anybody wanted, but it functioned as it was essentially supposed to. Right. Uh, you know, beyond that, then they're still figuring out where the shares go and who owns them mm -hmm. and all that. And, you know, again, it's easier said than done because <laughs> right. with most of the way we work, we just made up our own way of doing it. And that's great. But when you get into legal entities, you know, we're bounded, you know, obviously by the legal constructs right. of the country. And, uh, you know, with all due respect to attorneys, the legal <laughs> codes are not exactly fonts of creative, you know, <laughs> open-minded energy right. it's more the other way right. which is how do you close everything down and then you know because something went wrong somewhere then you end up with a code that's appropriately put in place but then it ends up restricting somebody whose intentions are good instead of just you know right. protecting from the people who are bad so you know i'm not down on government i'm not down on laws but it just it creates these constructs that are not really that fluid right all right, man. I, I know our listeners want me to just keep on picking your brain because this is awesome stuff. But we've hit the time of the show where I have to put you through the rigors of the lightning round. Are you ready for the lightning round? I don't know, but you're going to do it anyway. So let's try. <laughs> <clears throat> and now here's the Remodeler's Advantage lightning round. It's a trap. All right. I'm putting 60 seconds on the clock. Here we go. What's your favorite business book and why? My favorite business book, I don't know, there's so many. I love Peter Kestenbaum's work. I love Peter Block's work. Uh, right now I'm looking at a book that's not considered a business book, but it's, I think it's a fabulous book by a guy named Robert Henry, H-E-N-R-I, called The Art Spirit, and it was written in 1923. He was a painter and an art teacher, and uh, it's really about how he taught art, but one of my beliefs is that business and life are like art and uh, done poorly, they're bad art, done well, they're great art. And his lessons, uh, I think, are really appropriate for all of us. Awesome. If you weren't the co-owner of Zingerman's and the community of businesses, what do you think you'd be doing? Your job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, then I'm in trouble. <laughs> what are you not very good at? Well, a lot of things. Uh, basketball. Um, <laughs> One of the natural laws on that essay that I mentioned before is that strengths lead to weaknesses. So I think that anything that we're really good at, if you follow the continuum far enough, will lead to what we're not good at, right? So, you know, so I, I think there's lots of things I'm not good at. <laughs> your room, your desk, or your car, which do you clean first? Uh, I don't have a desk and I don't have an office. Uh, and my car is a mess because <laughs> it's my office. And yeah. <laughs> do you sing in the shower? I'd never sing in the shower, sir. Do you? <laughs> do you apply the five second rule to dropped food? At home. <laughs> Thanks, Ari. Ari, this has been fantastic. We very much appreciate you doing this. You know, again, being a Michigander, I've been to Zingerman's a million times, and then being able to experience Zing Train soon for the second time is, is going to be a wonderful thing. Now, before, yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, it's so, going to be great. People can see all the uh, business books at zingtrain.com. We're kind of off the grid, so we're not really on Amazon. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, so zingtrain.com has the training seminars and the books, and then uh, zingermans.com has our mail order. And we got about 20 other websites you can 
sorted out getting from one of those to the others. And then my email is ari at zingermans.com. If people have direct questions, I'm happy. Great. Thank you. That's awesome. I will put all those links and, and uh, resources in the show notes. Okay. Great. Cool. Good. Um, and I got to give a special shout out for the Reuben kit. Just saying. Um, okay. <laughs> there you go. Ari, before we let you go, I do want you to share your five words of wisdom with our listeners. Whoa, five words of wisdom. Breathe deep, learn a lot, have fun. That's probably seven words. <laughs> hey, close enough for rock and roll. <laughs> Thank you so much. We appreciate okay. it. It was great. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Thanks Ari. You too. Bye. So, man, I tell you, Ari is an impressive individual. Yes, very much so. My goodness. the You can just tell that he must read constantly. Well, you know, and it goes to show, because look what he's done with this business, he and his partner. And they've just done some phenomenal things. And in such a unusual way. I mean, so out of the ordinary. It, just, it's, it is. It's fascinating. I mean, how do, how do you, what even compels you to say, you know what, hey, this thing's going so great. Let's do a completely different thing over there. Well, you know, one of the else. things that I learned when I first went to Zing Train is that the employees are the ones that come to them oftentimes. Like the one, I believe, that, if I recall correctly, the cheese company, the creamery. We went to see that and how they did it all. But some, one of their employees came and said, hey, I think that we should start making our own cheese. And they went, okay. Same with the <laughs> wedding cake shop, the bakery, all sorts of those. It was the employees that came to them and they said yes. So that's, that's why the employees were then partners in that smaller business, that satellite. You know, Victoria, hey, I think we should start a, <laughs> a bar. Yeah, I do too, as a matter of fact. Okay. Let's see, that would Remodeler's be... Remodeler's Advantage Bar? I yeah, I don't know. We'll have to come uh, up with something. It's probably not going to work so well. Yeah. Well, RA Bar? No, I don't know. <laughs> we'll work on that. We'll right. work on that. All right. Well, that was great. Uh, loved having Ari on, and uh, hope, hopefully we can have him on again soon. So thanks for being here. This has been Power Tips Unscripted, and I'm Mark Harari. And I'm Victoria Downing. Thank you for being here. See you next time. See you next week. This has been another episode of Power Tips Unscripted, the remodeler's guide to business. Visit www.remodelersadvantage.com to learn more about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program. There you can also find information about our business consulting services, upcoming live events, and much more. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. It's a beautiful day.